to the Real Rural Women's Leadership podcast series. This project is funded through the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment. It is led by Care Ballon in St. George, Ballon Shire in southwest Queensland in conjunction with a team of researchers led by Dr. Sarah Casey at the University of the Sunshine Coast. The team includes Dr. Gail Crimmins, Dr. Saskia de Klerk and Dr. Karen Hands alongside Professor Jackie Hewitt from Griffith University. This podcast series is about building women's capacity, empowerment, strategic communication, and business leadership skills. This series is eclectic. We interview community and business leaders, entrepreneurs, academics, communication and media experts, an empowerment and confidence leader, and CEOs, the agitators and the advocates. Our hope is that this series might act as an inspiration and information toolkit for others. You can find more information about our project at www.realruralwomensleadership.com. All episodes contain show notes about the guests with links to their stories. So settle in and enjoy the series as together we chat with these remarkable women. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real Rural Women's Leadership Podcast Series. I am Dr. Sarah Casey. I work at the University of the Sunshine Coast and I teach and write about communication and media engagement for advocacy and entrepreneurialism, particularly in regional, rural and remote Australia. I want to show people how to engage with changemakers at all levels. I grew up on a working property and I knew firsthand that the stories we often hear in the mainstream media are limited. There are phenomenal women changing not only their lives but transforming entire communities. This series is about community. It's also about connection, an entrepreneurial mindset, leadership and business growth. But it's also about sharing those stories so that others may be able to get there too. In this conversation, I am joined by the wonderful Sally Rigney, a strong, articulate and seriously clever woman. Sally lives in a property called Mile Plains, which is about eight kilometres from Nindagully. Nindagully. Now, that's a name synonymous with the southwest of Queensland. It's the home of an iconic pub and a film featuring Hugh Jackman. Sally spent her early life in Gundawindi in Texas. Later, she spent many years away from her beloved southern Queensland, working as an ABC journalist in the beef capital, Rockhampton, among other places. Now, here I must give a special mention that Sally was crowned the 1990 Longreach Starlight Stampede Queen. Then she went to the national capital, Canberra, to continue her career before returning north. Sally and I chat about the loss of our media outlets and the difficulty for rural voices and rural stories to be heard. We talk about making change, about committee fatigue and about the two Bob experts sitting on the sidelines. We talk about Grace Tame, family, rural life and the beautiful Boulogne Shire and so much more. Sally believes that if we can just approach everything with a lot of kindness and understanding, we'd be in a better place. I think we can all agree. Please listen and be inspired by Sally as I was. Hello, Sally Rigney. Welcome to Real Rural Women's Leadership. How are you today? Really well. It's so lovely to be with you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. So, Sally, first of all, tell me where you are based. Queensland. So we live on a property called Mile Plains, which is um, 8Ks from Nindigully, a very famous pub that most people went to a BNS at at some stage in their lives. 
And when we first moved here um, about 15 years ago, first job the boys did was to swing a gate in the lower paddock so they can get to the pub off-road. It's very effective, very effective. And so we've got two places, um, Mile Plains here at Nindagully, and then 20 minutes down the road, we're working with my husband Ian's parents at Dumba. And so we've got grazing country with beautiful Angus cows. We've got a feedlot over on the wing, Gallon Country, where we supply Woolworths with a truckload every fortnight. And, and then we've got cropping on both the properties. And mainly it's a winter crop because our summers are just too hot and dry. Wow. Nindagully, so famous. I love it there. So people wanting to visit the region, why should they go to Nindigali? I know why, but you could tell our listeners why. Oh, my goodness. You must come to the Blonde Shire. We've got everything. We've got seven towns that create this crazy little river tourist trail. And if you start at Nindigali, there is the most amazing pub. They've got the most amazing food cooked by Boo Boo. Don't you love the names out here? It's got this big road trade burger that feeds about 40 and um, it's on the Mooney River. And once you've drunk the Mooney water, you'll always come back. And then it's just a hot skip and jump down the road to Thallon, to the painted silos, race across to Hebel where they've got the famous sloping bar where the Desham family have bought the pub and the store to keep the district going. And then, of course, in Durambandi, it's another river town. Um, and the, they have the vanilla slice there at Durambandi. Do they still have the vanilla slice? Famous yes. for that. Yes, because we have the amazing Russian bakery. So that's a must stop. I actually had a big busload of central Queensland cotton growers coming down to go and see Cubby and we had to stop at the Russian bakery. And it did save me during our harvest when I was feeding all our workmen one night and I was coming back and I was running late and I stopped in and bought all these meat pies. <laughs> the boys loved it better than my cooking. <laughs> that is a fantastic bakery. And I also must say Hebel's been in the news a little bit lately because you might want to tell me a little bit about that. Somebody's bought the shop or to save the town. Yes. Yes. Oh. So I'm, I'm thinking that we need a statue of Frank Deshin at Hebel. So Absolutely. Frank, Let's lobby for that. <laughs> we will. We will. Frank Deshin is just a wonderful, wonderful uh, man and a community man. His, he and his wife, Megan, have three boys, his brother and his wife have three girls, and they live out on this lovely property between Durambandi and Hebel. And what was happening was the Hebel pub was in trouble, the local store was in trouble. Uh, so the Deshin family bought the pub, bought the store, so they're the owners of the Hebel CBD and they've uh, all retrained as bar people and, and it's going great guns. It's And it's got this famous sloping bar. You go in there and what I love about all these local pubs is they've really showcased the local history and, and families. So, you know, you walk in there and they're shearing bibs from, you know, all the shearers that have worked there. And poor Frank, though, first they had the borders shut down because, of course, Hebel's mm. right on the border, gateway to Queensland for anyone coming up from down south. Then what happened was um, with COVID, they had the police there, they had the army there. I took some girlfriends through for a drink and it was like just having one chance. <laughs> nervous with the police and the army standing here watching. Um, and then, of course, the borders finally opened, but we were in flood. So Hebel still couldn't get any patrons. But look, you've got to see all these places. They've just got such character. Absolutely. Every time I'm out in Boulogne, I go to the Salon Silos, pop in at Nintigali as well. The silos, people coming from the um, from the city need to go to Thallon. Absolutely. Hebel, Deer and Bandit, Nindigali. Love it. So what are some other towns? There's St George. 
Yep, so we've got St George. Now, that's on the Boulogne River, which is the best water skiing in Australia. It's just sensational and amazing. You know, in town we've got things like Steve Mavrigatis, who is the egg carver, and he actually grew up in Greece and was in one of those little towns where during World War II um, it was occupied and so they went and hid in these caves for two years and survived there. So they're all quite short. <laughs> and, you know, they're just the stories you find on every street corner in these towns. I always drive down the street looking at um, these houses thinking, oh, there's such stories behind these front doors. Yeah, that's right. People should absolutely come out and spend a little bit of time in um, the Boulogne Shire. We also really love Bolin and there's a lovely art gallery there, Nullawaka. So there's there's loads of things that people can do. Are you from the region, Sally? Did you grow up here? No. Uh, that's a hard one. So uh, I actually started off in Brisbane and then my dad moved his beautiful wife and five kids out to a property out near Gundawindi with no electricity and all this sort of thing. They called him the George Street Farmer because he had to look over the fence to see what all the neighbours were doing because he had no idea. And so I guess, yeah, I'm a Gundy girl originally and then we went to Texas where we had sheep. But I spent a lot of years away working with ABC as a journalist away, you know, beef capital Rockhampton and down to the, the national capital Canberra. So I felt like I was away for a long time. But I guess, yeah, maybe I am local if where I call home is only sort of two hours down the road. Yeah, the distance is a different matter in the bush, isn't it? So you are a journalist. We'll get to what you're doing now, but tell me about your journalism career. I often think that, you know, I went from our smallest towns to our biggest cities and for me it was always the joy of sort of bringing that country realness um, to it. So I started off with commercial radio and worked my way east. I started off in Longreach where I was crowned the 1919 Longreach Starlight Stampede Queen. Um, I think something about really? needs to be unveiled every now and again. Fantastic. <laughs> From Longreach, I went to Emerald and then to Rockhampton, where I was picked up by um, ABC Radio and really taught my journalism trade. I had played. I had this fantastic um, editor, Alex Wake, and I couldn't spell for love and money because a little bit dyslexic. And Alex gave me this huge dictionary of hardcover, and I would have that on my knee. I wore out the cover, you know, by the end of it all. And I would get 20 new words a week that we put on the side of my computer and I had to use them in news stories. And that's how I taught myself to spell because we didn't have spell check, which was crazy back then. <laughs> that's fantastic. I might try that with some of my students and perhaps myself because I think we do get a little bit lazy now with the spell check on the computer. Oh, I still have that dictionary in my office to remind me because um, Alex taught me one of the most important, I guess, rules in life, which was, you know, here we were, two journalists living in Rocky, and you had to get everything right. You had to get your story right mm. because you had to be able to walk down the main street with your head held high. So Alex really taught me about truth and accuracy and if you don't know, ask. Was Alex a mentor to you? Oh, my gosh, yeah. And we went on to win ABC's inaugural Best Regional Newsroom, which was a national award together, which was just lovely. And, and I think that is what was the springboard for me to then work for ABC as a journalist down in Canberra. So you've seen a lot of change in the media over the last, say, 20 years or so. What would you say the biggest change is? I guess the speed, which I don't know is always a positive. The loss of our media outlets is so sad because now it's really hard um, to have our rural voices, our rural stories heard. You know, the outlets are, are getting less and less as far as traditional outlets. And so, you know, we're all adapting. Like I'm now... 
um, doing these uh, little social media interviews. I'm following a, a cotton family, the Saunders, through their season. It's called um, Season at Saunders Farming and on the Cotton Australia Facebook. Um, and that's getting a lot of traction. I think with everything, you know, life is always changing. Life is always adapting. You know, there are always disruptors that are in the market. Um, so for me, you know, being an old radio journo, and um, I was working with the Blondshire Council, we were doing this, you know, welcome mate campaign, and we'd used all our budget um, to do this in George Mate song, which luckily Kylie Minogue liked. So that was all the right. So people, people can find that song online still. Um, yeah, it's a George Mate song. And it was, it was our Bush parody of the $15 million Tourism Australia Kylie Minogue mate song. Of course, our budget was a lot less, shoestring, and we used it all. So then I had to use the beginning of COVID to learn how to film and how to edit film as we changed our campaign. And then we, we did uh, Welcome to Our Place and I did up seven little videos from our seven little towns, looking at the local area through locals' eyes. And, you know, it's People help you along the way if you're willing to listen. Back then, Pip Courtney, who's the presenter and a journalist on ABC's Landline, and Pip's a great mate and adore her to death. And Pip had rung me to say, oh, my goodness, with COVID, we can't get our film cameras out because they're going to come and do a little bit on our wheat crop. And so Pip said to me, you know, can you run around and grab this film? Um, and I just have my iPhone and this crazy little gimbal. And what she made me do was sit down and watch one of her stories from Landline with no sound, just so I could really see how the scenes were changing, you know, taking it from abroad into close, what was making it interesting. And if Pip hadn't sort of asked me to do that, I don't think I ever would have really realised that I had the ability to learn a new skill and, and that I could create, reinvent myself. I guess, along with the way media is reinventing itself. I thought I was a bit old. You know, I think I was 28 when email came in and I thought, oh, I don't need to learn about that. <laughs> so, but, you know, technology keeps changing. And I guess the thing is, you know, even though I'm out here surrounded by dust and cattle, you know, I just went and did an online um, video course and it's been incredible to think that, you know, some of these things have now been played on ABC television nationally and you go, wow, I did that in this little crazy spot in the wild west that's fantastic see when I think about the bush and particularly women in the bush I think about reinvention because one of the things that's come out in my interviews over the last few years is the way that people are reinventing themselves reinventing income sources reinventing themselves in and through the media in different types and I also think it's incredibly important that women are able to tell their stories locals are able to tell their stories in their own voices and to get their stories out there and heard. So well done. So, and that's been one of the things I've always done since I married my farmer and moved out here, is it's trying to give a voice and a face to my region. It's always been about trying to get that push into the metropolitan area. So it's, it's always finding the angle, the reason, what makes this interesting to people in this city, because it's the only way we're going to create understanding. You know, it's a big thing for us out because you feel like everyone gets tired of you going on and on and on about it and meanwhile it's just the most exhausting thing you've ever lived through and I think it can you can exhaust an audience so it was really strange when COVID hit because suddenly the bush was in a better season and suddenly the city were finding out what it was like when your income stream through no fault of your own is just knocked out and I think that that's why it's so important to be able to share our stories along the way to create empathy so that when the city's going through, you know, 
situations and when the country is, we can really understand each other and we can really find ways to help. That's right. And I think COVID, a lot of people I've interviewed have said that, said similar things. COVID happened and people in the city started to understand what it was like to experience these gaps, these inequalities around, you know, online learning. Yeah, yeah. for students. That was a big one. People in the bush have been doing that for a long time or, you know, via the air, etc. So there was that. There was food security issues. All sorts of things were happening yeah. that you are always aware of and cognizant of in the bush. So Look, What I'm really hopeful of is that COVID has sort of reset the balance sheet and created an appreciation of where food comes from because out here we're really proud to be doing what we're doing and we're doing what we're doing really, really well. You know, Australian Ag is just a huge success story where we've really seen our producers embrace the latest technology, you know, we've done the research. We're now able to produce such clean green products with minimal impact on the environment, in fact, protecting the environment because for us, these places out here, they're not just a business, they're our home. Um, and there's something that, you know, we're coming in, my husband Ian and I are second generation. You know, our beautiful son has just joined us in the business, you know, as third generation, which is very, very exciting, except that he made me get up at 5 o'clock this morning to make his sandwiches. I don't know how that happened. I thought, you're 25. That should not happen. <laughs> so you wear a lot of hats, though, don't you, Sally? You, you're a mum. You're a businesswoman. What else? Tell me about all the hats you wear. It's hilarious because um, one of the things I've really learned is to stop being busy. I really give myself space. You know, phone calls are always going and now I'll say, look, can I ring you back, you know, tomorrow at 9 o'clock when I can give you 100% of my attention? I've really learned to pause and choose my outcomes because there's this, it's almost like an, an addiction to being busy, you know, the latest bright, shiny object. Um, and I don't think being busy necessarily serves any positive outcomes. So my... I always have a to-do list. If you fall off my to-do list, you're never going to hear from me again. <laughs> so old-fashioned, you know, I write it. Um, so look, who am I? I'm, I'm married to the most amazing man, Ian Rigney. We have two incredibly amazing kids. We've got Angus and Bront. Angus had a horrific accident when he was 21, a fatigue car accident, which happens out here. You know, that's part of our culture, which is really travelling big hours. We spent five months down in Brisbane getting him through. My husband was not going to leave Brisbane until Angus could walk out with him. And Angus has just never taken a backward step, amazingly positive. I'm going to cry on this one because, you know, friends, no, of, ours, friends of ours suggested, you know, Angus is up in the Northern Territory, you know, he's such a busy bloke that we sent him to Marcus Oldham, um, which is a fantastic ag college down in Geelong, Victoria. And it was a big step for Marcus because Gus went down to him um, because he'd lost his peripheral vision and he was full of titanium. Um, and the boy never really completed grade 10. Um, so it was a big thing for them to take him on. And, you know, he won the, the principal's award for effort and achievement for his class. And he's now got his agribusiness. And um, being down there, and, and I sent him down with all this adaptive technology because, you know, he could only see half a page at a time. And I uh, love Gus. He said, no, I'm just going to give it a go on my own. I want to see what I can do. And so he never used any adaptive technology. When he went there, he couldn't play ping pong. And by the time he left, he could. Um, and he didn't drink for that whole two years because that's just so important. And his friends supported him through it. It was amazing. Anyway, the beautiful boy the other day, his eyesight has now improved enough, and we think it's from that time at Marcus, that um, he now has his driver's license back. Yeah, it's, it's, it's opened up his whole life. And it's really lovely because he's decided to come back into business with us, which is um 
very exciting. I think it'll really push us on now to those next few projects that maybe Ian and I are getting a bit old and tired. We've got this beautiful 16-year-old daughter, Bronte, who's at school in Brisbane, and Bea's just a character. She's doing her Cert 3 in Ag with us. So she's actually become our best tractor driver um, at Harvest. She was our best driver. But she's um, also an amazing um, athlete. She's a dressage rider. Um, and has her her big warm blood down in Brisbane and goes there after boarding school every afternoon. That's my family. So you've got <laughs> and they are my priority because it's what it's all about. You know, you, everything we've done for our kids, we're saying, what else are we doing it for? You know, unless it is to have this amazing family that's very connected and to be able to give them every opportunity that we possibly can. So family, that's my biggest task. And then, well, I guess I, I'd like to think I'm our Rigney Rural CEO, but I think I'm just the data entry girl. And look, we're just uh, like any other farming family. We've got uh, cropping, we've got grazing, uh, but we've also got trucks on the side. That's to pay for my very expensive daughter's riding habit. And then I am, I currently I am uh, the regional manager for Cotton Australia for St George, Durambandi and Mungandai, and that, and that is just a joy. It's a part-time job. It fits in with my life. And I am having so much fun because I'm working with all these incredible farmers who are doing all this cutting edge stuff and you have just such a laugh and so much joy in your day. And so I'm really, really loving that. I'm loving getting paid because so much much of my work in the past, you know, 15 years has been community work. So you don't get paid. In fact, it costs you money. And Ian always said he had to plant an extra 1,000 acres of wheat to cover all our community work. So, you know, things like as um, chair of the Rabobank Southern Queensland and Northern New South Wales Client Council, that's a really huge title. We never found a, a polite acronym for it. But anyway, I had a fantastic, you know, four years or whatever it was. You know, we created amazing things where we started off this financial literacy workshop locally and it got rolled out nationally. You know, I sat, sat next to some really huge success stories at some of these functions. And the really interesting thing was I realised all these success stories started with one small problem we've been trying to solve. And so now whenever I'm approaching anything, I just think of what's the problem? I'm just going to solve the problem. I'm not going to think any further than that. And that was a really huge one for me because I was always worried that I'd never have any big ideas. You know, you always think, oh, everyone else seems to be so exciting, you know. That, you know. And so to bring it back down into little steps and just go, you know what, just run, solve one problem at a time one project at a time. So that was a really exciting thing for me to take away from all of that. So the small steps, the the take one problem and work out the solution, I love that because we can get so overwhelmed and I think it ties back into what you were talking um, about before, that you don't give your time, you're much more prioritised with your time. Okay, so you find you give 100% to something at a time rather than taking on all the things. And I think with our busyness and all the digital traffic that's coming in, all of the the media, we're saturated. We need to take that time, especially as busy women, to just focus on the small steps to get there, to, to find those solutions. I was, when I was listening to you, I was thinking, you can be a life coach as well, but I think... What was that? You can be my life coach. Love I would it. love to be your life coach. I'll show you how not to do it because you learn more from a bad boss than you do from a good one, seriously. Well, can I ask you, what would be your tips and strategies for dealing with um, difficult situations in workplaces or in community oh. organisations, for example? Because I'm sure you've got some tips oh. there. Oh, how long have we got? How many stories? <laughs> I, I guess you know, out here in the bush, I mean, I've just always said there are so many beautiful, educated women. And, you know, then you get a committee together, like we had Wingal and Pink Ladies Day, which was this amazing day in the middle of nowhere, a luscious day of lunch and laughter. 
by the end, I think we had about 750 women. And we got to 20 years. So we we're all still friends. So that's that's amazing. But so here you are, you know, all these country women with their own ability. Everyone's got the talent to bring to the table. And I think it's really honoring and respecting that talent and putting people where they fit. Um, I did find myself, you know, <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but I was working on one committee and obviously there was an issue that I hadn't quite realised because they put me on as toilet monitor when I was in charge of all the spots. I was the best damn toilet monitor they've ever seen. And that's the thing, you know, when you're given something like that, hey, I'm going to make you the best damn toilet monitor ever. Well, I was only toilet. I didn't even get the title of monitor. But anyway. <laughs> what, what happens? What does a toilet monitor do? Well, you have to make sure that it's spick and clean um, and oh. sparkling. And I did. Oh, yes. I may have done it with a little dance step with my mop. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> I think that's such a valuable role. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's it's totally underestimated how important that role is. Yes. I was like, didn't I just raise $100,000 in sponsorship? I'm meant to be talking to the sponsors. Okay, no. All right. So, so you're not scared of getting your hands dirty, quite literally? Definitely not. Definitely not. And that's one of the things. It doesn't matter whether you're the MC or, or you, you know, what your role is on a committee. I mean, you've got to be there early unpacking the chairs, cleaning out the toilets, you know, all that sort of thing. I wished I um, had was wiser, <laughs> you know, my husband always says, that he, you know, as women out here, the, the scariest committee is your kindergarten committee because you're young and you're dynamic and you haven't been ground down yet. <laughs> you're probably not as patient um, as you get to be a bit later on. And I think that's one of the things as women, it's being able to be kind, really. I remember, you know, being a bit fiery back in the day and, you know, you feel really annoyed because you think that person's being an asshole. And they're getting away with it. And it created all this white noise in your head. And then you'd have factions and, oh, and then, you know, it would just explode. And so it's about letting it go. It's about actually that white noise is only hurting you. It's about the freedom of forgiving. And I didn't know how to do it in the beginning. I'm thinking, I really need to just let this go because it's annoying me. And it, it actually pulls you back. It actually stops you from from progressing forward. So I did this crazy thing where I went and found all these lovely forgiveness little quotes and I printed them out on A4 bits of paper and I stuck them up on my bathroom wall and on my office wall. And it was amazing. Suddenly you just let it go. Suddenly you've got all this space to actually be creative and be productive. And the other thing I really worked out was, you know, when people are being assholes, often it's they don't mean to be. There was one occasion one day where I was being quite judgmental about how something was being approached until I actually listened and realised that that person didn't know how to solve a problem and they'd actually gone into a flap about it. And so I think we've all got such big backstories that no one ever hears about. We're all so busy putting on a brave face, trying to, you know, I suffer horrifically from imposter syndrome. I'm still waiting for people to work out. I've got no idea what I'm doing. And I think it's just about actually celebrating and working in collaboration, not competition, because there aren't enough of us out here not to work together. And just the things you can achieve and the excitement you can create. Like when I was working on that St. George Mate song with the Blondshire Council Tourism Manager, Kim Wildman, it was so exciting because... Here we were lifting each other up. Here we were playing to each other's strengths. Kim is incredibly, insanely talented with a spreadsheet in detail. I can't even read a spreadsheet. I'm just all big brush. And so we were pushing each other and we were supporting each other and we had this huge success. And I just still hold on to that and just go, you know, 
when you can work in collaboration rather than competition, it is amazing the magic that you can create. Absolutely. My advice advice to all women is on these committees is just please be kind, be patient, but also speak up in that forum around that table. I was on a lot of committees where you think, God, no one's really saying what they feel and I feel like I'm always talking and I really want to just not. And then you drive away and then the phone would start with everyone, you know, having a bit of a stab about this and a stab about And I think, no, 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 we were in a meeting and that's where it needs to be aired. And I think we really need to be able to be truthful and honest and not get so offended. I mean, it's so easy to put up a wall and say, oh, I don't like that feedback or you're criticising me. But it's actually if you listen to that, that's when you learn, that's when you grow, it's when you open yourself up like, Probably was a pretty long-winded MC when I first began at Wingellum Pink Ladies Day, and someone kindly mentioned it to me. And I thought, oh, I hadn't thought of it. So I was just trying to keep everyone happy, every sponsor happy. And you know, by the end, I think I'd whittled it right down. And it was just about the fact that it's so easy to get offended rather than actually listen, take it on, and then act. That's right. So that radical compassion for others, but also for yourself, and radical honesty in these situations. Yeah, I think in meetings sometimes people do do that and it's so much harder to actually say your truth at the time rather than get on the phone and have a bit of a rant later. So I think, yeah, just be honest and don't let this stuff occupy your headspace. I love what you did with the the signs, the forgiveness around the place. That's great. It works. works. I've always said my definition of success is finding where you belong, embracing it and enjoying it. And I think that out here you've got all these wonderful women who are all filling these different roles. And guess what? We're the ones that are using our talent or our ability are helping to keep the lights on. We're helping to keep a community in a district for our kids to come back to. We've all got such different roles to play. You know, whether you're our amazing mayor, Samantha O'Toole, or my favourite person in the whole world because Lou is my cleaner and she's older than me, which she tells me about all the time. And Lou comes to my house once a month and, you know, I've come and I've been going and you know how you just throw things everywhere and I did work out during COVID that even when I do have time I don't like cleaning. But anyway, but Lou comes and Lou is my sanity and Lou's adopted our family. And my house will not be standing without her because she's the one who goes, Sally, you've got a water leak. Oh, Sally, you've got to do this or you've got to do that. And and that's why I just, it's everyone's got their, their bit that they contribute that creates the whole. That's right. And... I think women oftentimes, I love the idea that we all have these roles and I think a good leader can identify the strengths of the people in the team. Would you agree with that? It's just paramount because, you know, if you put someone into their happy place, that's where they're going to perform. That's where they're going to make, you know, incredible things happen. You know, before you were talking about imposter syndrome, I think a lot of women have imposter syndrome, but as I listen to you and get to know you a little bit, I think you're really competent confident, tenacious, and resilient. You get asked to do a lot of things. So how do you say no, Sally Rick? Look, I think it's just being really sure about the fact that what is it that I want? What are my priorities? Does this fit into my life? We spend a lot of years running around trying to save the world because, you know, suddenly, you know, our kids are going to, to school in St George and only six parents are turning up to the parent-teacher interview in St George. So I'd drive in at night to make sure there were enough parents there. And then I suddenly went, you know, why am I doing that? There are like 3,000 people in St George. 
surely someone there can turn up to the parent-teacher interview while I concentrate on my little communities of Nindagali and Wingallum where there are only six of us anyway. And that was a big thing that you realised when you let it go, someone else fills the space. And the other big thing I'd say is it is really easy to gripe or complain or (laughs) criticise the way someone on a committee is doing a job. But I've got this little rule now. If I want to criticise that committee or that job that's being done, I have to go on that committee. And it has been amazing how that has stopped me complaining about a lot of things. And I think that was one of the wonderful lessons we learned at Wingallum Pink Ladies Day was we would give everyone their department, their, their area of specialty, and we would trust them to do the best job that they could with the best intention they had. And they would yes. hand us back the end result and we would say thank you very, very gratefully. Um, and it's about that um, delegation and sharing. It's about the fact that you don't have to oversee it all. So I think it's about communication, it's about connection, it's about building relationships, and that builds trust. Yeah, saying no is a big one that I come up mm. against all the time, that women are, okay, because we want our communities to run really well, to to be noticed, I guess. We need to lobby for change. We need to you know, activate and advocate for support services in our communities, but is it the same people over and over again stepping up? Mm. Yeah. Uh, yes, you're, you're right. If sometimes if Until we do... you it, no one's going to fill the space. That's right. Have you heard of Brene Brown? She's an American psychologist. There's a TED Talk. Oprah made her famous. She's, a, she's an academic and she said something, or someone else might have said this first, but she actually says that if you're not in the ring, I'm not interested in your feedback. That's paraphrasing her. That's nice. And I love that because it's so much easier to criticise from outside. Oh, it is. It is the two-bob expert in the stands. It's amazing how well I ride everyone else's campcraft horses. I think one of the really important things too is just because it's always been, does it always have to be? It's really sad when you hear about old parties they used to have and things, events they used to do, and it all got knocked out when um, that public liability insurance premium skyrocketed a million years ago. I was um, reporting back at the time doing stories on it and then, now I live with the results where you come out to these little communities and all these events they used to have, they don't have any now anymore because of the insurance and things like that. But you have to ask yourself, right, life has evolved, life has continued. What's a new way that we can do an event or an occasion or something like It's getting harder and harder to attract people out here or to retain people out here. You know, back in the golden age of everything, it was dirt roads, old cars and, you know, Parents stayed in the district and played tennis and played cricket. Now we've got superb roads, we've got fast cars, we've got kids at the boarding school, so we're off all the time. And so it's when you're trying to create a community event or, or something, you've really got to look at what is going to engage with your audience? Why would they want to come? What, When you're asking for someone's time, what is the value you are giving them? Because they're not going to give, if you take their time and don't deliver value, they're not going to sign up again. It's just like that workshop you go to. And, you know, it takes a lot to get something. You've got to do a lot of other stuff to get a day off. You go to a workshop and you just go, are you serious? I knew more than the instructor, you know. But, you know, guess what? Next time you get an email from that company, you're going, well, I'm not going um, because you've got to add value. If you ask for someone's time, you've got to add value to that time. And so I think, you know, when we look at things like ag shows, and you know, I hate to say it, but finding it really hard to get crowds to there. Let's talk about what do we do with those ag shows? How do we reinvent them, reinvigorate them, rebuild them to be something that this generation wants? Absolutely. Media's changed, communication's changed, the landscape's changed, tech has changed. So the bush has changed with it and the people as well. 
One of the themes or the big theme for International Women's Day, which is coming up in March, this won't be up by then, but I want to ask you, one of the themes is break the bias. Okay, so I see lots of stereotyping of rural women. And I and I know it's absolutely not true. It's it's not true. There's no one type of rural woman and or one type of person. How do we break the bias, do you think, to create gender equality in the bush? First thing we do is do it in our homes. How are we bringing up our boys and girls? You know, is there a double standard going on there? Because, you know, we've, I grew up in double standards where, you know, the boys inherit, the girls don't, you get an education, and where, you know, we're, we're taught to be polite, um, to be of service. And so, you know, you see Grace, it's Grace Tame, isn't it? Grace Tame, yes. Yeah. So you see someone like Grace Tame, you know, on Australia Day, um, throwing a lot of shade to the Prime Minister. And it feels uncomfortable because you're going, oh, oh, you know, we've got to be polite. And then you know what? I so respect that girl because uh, so often we just go along in silence, behaving and doing as we're expected to, as, as we've been programmed to. And I really love these feisty young girls that are getting in there and doing it their way because you've got to do you. It's, it's you know, and, and they're doing them just fine. And you know what? I get so frustrated when I'm listening to these politicians and they're just oh they're so you know they're so impressed with their own power and they're really not very powerful you know they just you just go oh god are you the best we can do anyway but that's a whole nother story (laughs) and and there's been so much debate about grace not smiling but do we actually we think about that with regard to a man if he didn't smile hi oh mate men get away with a hell of a lot (laughs) okay i in, in women's circles, in the work that I, some of the work that I used to do in advocating for women's rights, and I'm going a bit off track here, but there was this amazing woman who said, we're going to lose a whole generation to fighting offensive T-shirt slogans and Brazilian waxes. The real issues are violence, poverty, affordable housing. We shouldn't be wasting our energy and exhausting ourselves getting all pent up and angry about something on a T-shirt that's in cotton on, for example, or Brazilian waxes. Are they the real issues? So I think what we're saying here is focus on the big issues, the real issues, and save your fight for those. Would you agree? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, the younger generation, they're, they're different to who we are. And in some ways that's where we can come in. And while they're off busy doing things that we think are unimportant, we can actually have, I guess, the maturity and the wisdom to actually help fight and work on some of those issues that are going to be important to that next generation later on. And we don't have to work with the young, like, we don't have to all be in this one big group together. I mean, if you can see a need, you just address it and you get it done. And it doesn't mean that you have to drag all the poor, you know, 18 and 19 and 20-year-olds along with you because they're off partying. They're having a really good time at the cocktail bar. And I think that's where it's actually our responsibility to be able to leave these communities in a viable place for the next generation, however that looks for your postcode. I love that. We'll wrap up in a moment, but people are going to come out to Ninda Gully, see all of the hats. There's hats everywhere in the pub on the ceiling. Yep, my father-in-law's hat's there, my husband's hat's there. They still haven't stolen mine. I like my hat too much. Thank you, Sally. That was wonderful to chat to you. If you've got one takeaway message that you'd like to give people about life in the bush and the strength of rural women, what would it be? 
I think what I'd love people to respect about rural women is the power, the grace that they have as they raise their families, lead their communities. It's um, amazing to see such dedication day in, day out to trying to get it right. And you don't get it right every day. So when we don't, forgive yourself and move on. And I just really believe in that whole movement of kindness because you've got no idea what battle people are facing behind the scenes that they don't show the world. And so if we can just approach everything with a lot of kindness and understanding, I think we'd be in a lot better place. Thank you so much, Sally. That's beautiful. Kindness, understanding and respecting and appreciating the rural woman. Well, we certainly appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Rural Women's Leadership podcast series. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd be delighted if you would take a couple of minutes to rate and review our podcast on your chosen listening platform. If you'd like to learn more about this series or get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so via our website at www.realruralwomensleadership.com, where you'll also find links to our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram accounts. Thanks again for listening.